The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook podcast for the month of June is The Majesty's Men. The Majesty's Men is a multifaceted venture for maximizing men by glorifying God together. TheMajesty'sMen.com focuses on creating content and community for men with an evangelical, reformed, and complementarian perspective on issues we face and roles we fulfill as men of God in our society. The Majesty's Men hosts the Honor God Network, which focuses on content and ministry for men of God. The Honor God Network takes the massive infrastructure and premium tools of TheMajesty'sMen.com and shares them with exemplary men of God who are faithfully, boldly, and winsomely serving others and engaging society with the gospel of Jesus Christ via their personal blogs and podcasts or other projects and ministries. The Majesty's Men then assist in the management and upkeep of the site so everyone can continue doing what they're doing with excellence. A membership on one site gives you access to all the sites in the network and many blogs, podcasts, resources, and projects, and other partner ministries that are in the works. Learn more, join in, and contribute at themajestiesmen.com. Learn more about the Honor God Network and see if you and your work may be a good fit to join by simply typing hnr.gd into your browser. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Well, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Uh, Thankful to have you listening in today. I get to interview a friend of mine who happens to be down uh, just living in Florida, suffering for the Lord every every day. Uh, but my friend Dave Harvey, Dave, how you doing down there today? I'm doing well, though it's pouring down rain, so I want some sympathy today. Okay, well, okay, well, right, yeah, poor poor Dave down in Florida, <laughs> raining raining outside. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the show. What we'll do, I'll just I'll just pray for us, and then we'll get right into some questions that uh, okay. that I have for you. Okay, Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for a brother and a friend that uh, I get to talk to. Thank you for technology that we get to just talk over the phone and lead this discussion. I pray you'd help us to uh, to think clearly and, and speak clearly and do so in such a way that every listener is encouraged and challenged. And I just cr- trust, God, that you're going to work. Um, always point us to Jesus, Holy Spirit. I trust that you're going to do that. And it's in his name that we pray. Uh, amen. Amen. All right. Well, for those that... Maybe don't know you, or know just maybe a little bit about you. Could you tell us about yourself, your family, and then what you what you do? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I'm the husband to Kim. Uh, we've been married for 37 years, and we'll celebrate our 37th anniversary this August. Um, four kids, all of them adult children, and uh, and four grandkids as well. So. Just yesterday was Father's Day, and we were with three of our four kids hanging out at, at our house, so that was a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, I've been a pastor for about 33 years, and just transitioning out of that role into another role, which I can talk about in a second, but uh, I, I do some writing. i uh, just finished up a writing project with Baker Books, and uh uh, I guess the other the other hat I wear is I, I've spent about the last 25 years working in networks, working in the leadership of networks, and the last four of those years as president of, of Sojourn Network. Hmm. And I'm just about to start a new position August 1st as the president of Great Commission Collective, which is a church planting 
network that is working within the United States in Canada and has about 40 or 50 churches abroad as well. So that's my world. Yeah. Grateful that's, to God for it. That's great. That That is quite a few hats to wear for sure. But uh, you seem to do it well. That's well. So, uh, listeners who, who are tuning in, you you know that we're part of our church in Carbondale is a part of the Sojourn Network, and that's where Dave and I got to know each other a little bit. And uh, I've received so much from from you, Dave. So thank you for your you know your service in the network. I know that your new position you're going to serve well there and and encourage a lot of guys and and husbands and wives and churches. And so keep doing what you're doing. We we uh, we certainly have reaped the benefits of God's work and in your life. So thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that. But, but this word transitions. Okay. When a lot of my listeners are, are younger guys and, um, bounce around a lot in their twenties and into their thirties from youth ministry positions to associate pastor positions to uh, collegiate ministry or whatever it may be. And transitions are never, uh, or well, they're rarely easy. Uh, there, there's complexities there. You find yourself, you know, in that new season of, of being a little older than I am. I know you're, you're 38. Is that correct? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not for, not for 21 years have I been 38. Uh, But you're in a a different season of life that I'm in, but you, you're in a transition. And so what have been some of those challenges for you and then what the, the challenges of a transition at this stage of life? And then what are some ways that Christ has been sustaining you and your wife in it? Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I, I think I'm wired the same way that you described. I think transitions are challenging. I think in, in general they are. I think there is there are those men and women that are just wired for change. Uh, I think Kim is actually a little more like that and you know can get bored easier with the rhythm of something that's routine and regular. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I, I tend to I, I tend to enjoy. Uh, plugging into a role, uh, digging in, and, uh, and and grounding myself there. So the transition, the recent transition, was was challenging, um, and challenge and transitions in, in general tend to be challenging. I, I I think that part of the challenge is that I think we all have, you know, we all have a kind of a storyline that we think God is writing and. Uh, and our storylines rarely include transitions. Mm. Um, uh, you know, there's this there's this general sense of trajectory that we have in the storyline, where um, you know we're we're kind of thriving and fruitful in in whatever we're doing. And so, when it radically diverges, or there's some unexpected change, or uh, something that God does that takes us in a different direction. You know, it, sometimes one can feel displaced by that experience mm-hmm. and uh, and out of control. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm, you know, th- those are feelings I'm really familiar with. I've had that on a number of occasions as, as I've walked through different transitions over the years. I think one of the things that's encouraged me about this most recent transition out of sojourn network um that that was a hard transition because we you know we loved we we love sojourn network we love the guys we love the wives we love the work that we were doing there and nevertheless god you know god really sustained us by giving us kind of a an unusual piece and i say unusual because typically 
uh, major transitions for me are a prescription for anxiety. Mm. I think I'm, I'm going to be thinking uh, about all of the things that can go wrong and all the ways this may not work in a, you know, uh, or, or may include challenges that I unexpe- that I didn't expect. And, and yet I, I think that um, with this most recent transition, um, you know, as we were walking through it, and in the days that followed, um, Kim and I both experienced uh, the peace of God um, and really un- understood what it meant that that surpasses understanding because it was certainly uh, inconsistent with how I typically operate and respond. Wow. And, uh, and so I'm just immensely grateful for that. Hmm. I remember... Uh, hearing a story about Elizabeth Elliot when Jim, her husband, was killed on the mission field and her mother-in-law challenging her to say, hey, you can't be doing well right now. You know, you need to come back, you know, come home, get some healing, restoration. And she said, hey, is the peace of God that passes all understanding real or not? And she stayed based on this belief that God was really sustaining her, you know. So as you're talking, I'm thinking this of like, you know, not that the scenario is the same, but the same sustaining power of the Holy Spirit um, when it doesn't seem understandable why I would be feeling this way. It's wonderful that God sustained you in that way. And Yeah, praise. I remember her, her observing once as well that, um, you know, when people look in on your situation, it's really hard for them to write grace in because they can't anticipate what it what it would be like to experience grace and so people can feel like she was i think she was making the observation about burying her 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 first two husbands Hmm. uh and how at funerals you know people would just couldn't imagine what she was going through and part of what she discovered is they they couldn't imagine grace wow Um, so they related to her as if grace wasn't a reality and and yet you know i think that that the reality is is that god makes his grace available in those defining moments of transition um and that's part of uh you know what sustains us and helps us to to move forward you know this wasn't in the questions that i sent you so it's going to be a little bit of curveball but you know you've been in the christian counseling world biblical counseling world and with the ccef and uh, for for many many years how does this play into this idea of god sustaining um, a person in the midst of trial when everybody is looking on and if god is actually bringing that sustaining uh, his his presence and bringing his grace and a person is doing well in the midst of difficulty and then bystanders look and, and they're watching and they're thinking, but you can't be well. How as a pastor um, do you balance out the two when you maybe suspect, okay, maybe they're not doing actually well, but in reality, God is actually bringing that um, and sustaining that person. Have you ever bumped up against that in a pastoral counseling situation or ever been in a situation where you think that, you know what, I think they're actually doing well because God is sustaining them. And I've, I've just found it, found it hard to navigate because I've been in that situation in times of, of my life where God has sustained my wife and I and where it just felt weird almost to other people because of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because I think, uh, particularly for guys that are just getting started in ministry, there is a, is a temptation to immediately 
kind of write yourself into what's taking place with them and imagine how it would make you feel hmm. and then yeah. relate to them out of that. Right, yeah, and, yeah. And so I think that becomes the baseline that a lot of counseling can take place is you're actually counseling them based upon how it would make you feel oh, wow. rather than rather than spending the time to really delve into um, their experience uh, asking good questions just just letting letting it breathe by really crawling into their mind and uh, and allowing them to unpack how this is how this has affected them how it's making them feel where they're at and and probing through really good questions so that you're ultimately interacting with where they really are Hmm. And yeah, I mean, there are, there are times where people, pro- you know, grief is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, people experience grief in dramatically different ways, and uh, but but we tend to paint grief with only one color, and right. that is, you know, you have to be sad and you have to be crying. Yeah. Well, if you're sitting across from somebody who seems to be denying that because you don't see them crying then, you know, you're going to be trying to move them to a place where uh, that explores whether they really understand the significance of what's happened, Yeah. where in reality, they may get it more than anyone. Uh, They're just processing through it in their own way. Hmm. But you, you don't know until you really ask good questions. So it's, you know, the caution for any new pastor, any young pastor is, you know, don't assume, don't project your own sense of of how you would feel onto them but wade in and care for them by exploring the reality of where they are that's so good that's so helpful uh, right, well let's transition a little bit here we, we throw that word out again here but uh i remember a distinct moments sitting in my office i'm 24 years old a new pastor and i remember thinking what now what am i supposed to be doing and i don't think i'm alone scenario of a guy who's graduated from, from uh, he's got his bachelor's, went to seminary, now he's got his first pastorate. And what advice would you give to a young pastor just finding their way in pastoral ministry who just simply doesn't know what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Well, I, I think that uh, it's, it's really helpful to team up with someone who does know what they should be doing or has done what they're about to do. And so finding somebody who is more experienced, who can serve in a mentor or a mentor-like role can be absolutely essential to, uh, to creating a track that they can run on to, you know, creating a basic set of, of metrics that they can evaluate themselves by. I think part of the challenge is, is, is you feel like you're living in a vacuum because you, you really don't know you know, what you're supposed to be doing or how to measure the success of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so you can feel that constant, uh, that constant internal evaluation and external evaluation. So I think having somebody, a more mature person, uh, preferably in the church, preferably even on the staff, Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, wherever you can get them to be able to speak into that is, is, is really helpful. Yeah, I would say another thing is to invite assessment of your gifts. Um, take take advantage of 
of having people around you who are experiencing the effect and impact of your ministry and invite their perspective of where they're uh, experiencing grace through your ministry, because it's good to know that, but also where you can improve, where they feel like, you know, you can improve in serving and, and, and be ruthless about that. Because, you know, that not only, in order to get there, you have to be exercising a degree of character and a degree of humility that becomes absolutely essential in building your ministry. So the issue is not simply to get the information, mm-hmm. that the issue is to derive the kind of character that can that sees the value in that that's applying yeah. proverbs and you know is is pursuing wisdom and uh and 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 is then able to get that information without always feeling like your identity is is at risk yeah yeah that's really really helpful things I, and I, some of these things these highlights i'll make sure listeners that you get these in the show notes and so um that th- this is really helpful stuff dave uh, i appreciate it Let, i just i just thought of one one other one yeah i think well i just think of how many how many guys come into ministry expecting that they're going to serve in a certain way and find that they that they're serving in a different way okay and uh, in ways that that m- might be outside of what they think their gifting is. And that's where I would say to a young guy, listen, just, just go into it expecting that you're going to serve in some ways outside of your gifting. Yeah. What's most important right now is not that you experience, you know, convergence, which uh, guys rarely come to anyway, but, but those that do tend to be older in life. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, that, that sense where you're, the 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 role is ideal for the gifts that God has given you, uh, so that you can be mo- as mo- most fruitful as possible. Hmm. In those in those early years of ministry, God is is building the man as as much as the ministry. And part of the way God builds the man is he 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 pushes him into roles that he wouldn't prefer. Yeah. To teach to teach him serving, you know. That's good. To teach him. Uh, uh, to, to get him into uh, pockets of the church that he would naturally go um, to, you know, to, to have to submit himself on things where he feels weak and not strong. There, there's a thousand things that are served um, when a guy has to do those kinds of things. And so I would say, you know, expect that that's going to be part of your path as well. Yeah. You know, God called Paul, the Jew of all Jews, to go to the Gentiles. And I think the power of Christ is on display through our weaknesses. And I think that is a—it's easy to take, you know, I, I, even within a church, of, of getting people to discover their spiritual gifts. And, and although that can be incredibly helpful, you know, I think in some of the things that you're saying, we don't want to be crippled uh, in the sense that I can only serve in the way that I'm gifted. And... I, that's that's so helpful to think through that it, don't just expect that from members within the church but in the ways that we serve in ministry as well uh, God's going to stretch us and and, and yeah, it's, yeah it's the challenge of, of, of spiritual gifts gift assessments and things like that because you you immediately begin to get clarity on where you 
are gifted or may be gifted. And with that comes an expectation. Yes, that's good. But that can quickly convert into a demand. Right. As if that, that's the exclusive place for your service. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the world of ministry is far wider than that. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that pastors are facing today? Well, I think the, I think probably the biggest one that jumps immediately to mind is that the, the, the credibility of, of ministry, the credibility of the church is, is now being constantly undermined. Mm. Um, so when I came into ministry in 1986, um, being a pastor had a kind of, I wouldn't say there was a cultural respectability, uh, but there wasn't a cultural antagonism. Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe there was an ambivalence. Uh, but but being a pastor no longer has hardly any cultural support. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, the problems that take place within the evangelical church, and, and also, I think, the way that we tend to handle the problems within the evangelical church yeah. does not, it just doesn't engender confidence in the church as an institution. And so we, we find ourselves in, in days where there is now a higher cost to entering into pastoral ministry Mm -hmm. there's a there's a greater courage that's necessary there is a there's a necessity to deal with the fear of of man which is you know at at its heart it's a craving for approval um and there's a need to deal with that more ruthlessly because um there just isn't the you know the culture that is supporting what we're doing and we're you know in some ways i guess we're getting closer to a New Testament climate hmm. in in how ministry is is going to take place. Yeah, yeah, that's a great observation. I think that's you're dead on on that assessment. And uh, there is growing antagonism, and I don't know where that's going to end up, but that's a that's a good word. You've written extensively, talked extensively about marriage over the years. Your book, When Sinners Say I Do, which I'll get to here in a second, but has been very well-received, used by premarital counseling, marriage counselors. Uh, I saw a friend of mine post something about this, that When Sinners Say I Do, and they said, hey, look, i got a great book on marriage. And I thought, well, hey, that's, that's Dave. And uh, so let, let's just talk marriage for a second. And, and over the years, how have you maintained an appropriate work, family uh, you know the 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 knots of the of just the lines in ministry of what is work and what is what isn't work because all of life is the life of a pastor. But how have you maintained that balance to make sure that your your marriage and your family has had the best of you and ha- has had your top priority, and then uh, all the while working hard and and doing what God has required. Six days you shall work, and pastors should be working hard. So how have you maintained that balance over the years with work, marriage, family, and, and all of those good gifts from the Lord? Yeah, great question. Um, got a guy cutting the lawn right outside of my window. So <laughs> That's all right. That. That's all I right. I apologize for that. That's okay. Um, I... I, I think, but you know, my starting place is that I don't, I don't assume that I have maintained it. Mm. Um, you know, as 
God has has given me the blessing of of a really strong marriage and a and a wonderful family. Um, but there's been a lot of work and challenge, uh, particularly on the on the parenting side. I think as as Kim and I have tried to learn to be uh, better parents. Um, what you don't have so, that all figured out? No. Oh. No, far, oh. <laughs> far from that. Um, and, I, and I fear any man that says he does. <laughs> um, so I think you know what I've tried to do along the way, though, is I think I've tried to communicate well with Kim because I I I thought that having her perspective on on how I'm doing with the work family balance um, you know would give me a place to stand it's not the only place to stand I also have a, a team you know of elders and a, a pastor and that I can invite into those questions um, so that I can derive a sense of security not exclusively from, man whether it's your wife or your team but mm-hmm. but that that's an important piece of the of of the puzzle so you know if i have uh for instance the pastors that i'm linked to or or my elders saying to me you know you are you know you're working too much or you're traveling too much or you know that's a really important piece of information yeah um if i don't have anybody that has a vantage point to be able to speak that kind of perspective then i'm at a great disadvantage at, uh, at, at, at being covered in ministry and, uh, or, or a wife that feels comfortable to give perspective. So mm-hmm. I think, um, I think I've really tried to, you know, create a culture within the home or I should say within the marriage, uh, and, and within the home too, but w- where those questions are being regularly asked and answered and, uh, and that even if the even if the answer is is not a, a glowing description of my leadership, mm-hmm. uh, it's still it's still welcomed. Yeah. Okay. Well, clearly, marriage is important. Uh, these are great things to think through for both pastors and anybody that's listening in. Uh, would you just tell us a little bit about your work and even in the title, I love the title because it gives insight to the, to the work itself, but tell us a little bit about When Sinners Say I Do, and then I'd love to hear about your follow-up work that's coming out because I know you've been doing some work on a sequel or like a pseudo-sequel to that book. Would you kind of give us a snapshot of When Sinners Say I Do and then what this new work you're, you're getting ready to put out uh, is all about? Yes. So when when Center Say I Do was published about um, eleven or twelve years ago, and you know the desire there was to was to take the the gospel truth and to see it applied specifically in marriage, and in, and to accomplish that, you know we had to recover the doctrine of sin and make sure that the doctrine of sin was understood sufficiently and how it works within marriage was understood sufficiently so that we could comprehend the glory of the gospel in marriage mm-hmm. and uh, and how significant it is to uh, transformation in marriage and power for change in marriage. And, 
And so I wanted to see that applied to conflict and sexuality and and grow and you know just change. Mm-hmm. So that was that was when when sinners say I do, and and that was um, that was written a while back, as I said, and that that served well, um, circulated pretty well. It's been it's been translated into a number of different different languages, um, but I found over time that. <clears throat> That it was used primarily in three different kind of. There were three different uses. One was premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, second was for newlyweds, and the third was for crisis care, when people were experiencing crisis in marriage. Pastors or leaders or friends right. would, you know, might direct them towards that as a resource. Yeah. So the. The more time that passed, the more I began to feel like I, I wanted to write something for for couples that that were married beyond like seven or eight years. Okay, and they were they were maturing in their marriage, and they they knew that they wanted to they wanted it to last. They knew that they wanted to make it to the end together. And so I, I, I got to thinking about, you know, what, what are the defining moments in, in marriage that one encounters in order to, to last? You know, Kim and I have, have been married now for 37 years. Um, her parents have been with us for the past five days. They've been married for like 58 years. Wow, fantastic. Um, yeah, it is fantastic. They, uh, God's been very good by giving us, you know, their example. Um, and but I'm you know I'm, I'm thinking yeah you know the reality is is that the the person that you marry you know the person you walk down the aisle with is not necessarily the same person that you're you're living with ten years later and not the same person twenty years later thirty years later uh, and that's the same for them because you're you know you're all growing and changing and developing and and. Uh, and and there's a lot of there's a lot of hurdles that have to be cleared, mm-hmm. um, and so you know like some of the chapters that I write on have to do with when the moment that you discover that your brokenness is is broader than just your sin, that there is you know there's your your your, your family of origin, that there's your weakness, mm. there's. There's other things that contribute to who you are that have to be really understood for marriages to last. Yeah. Um, you know, not c- coming to the point where you realize that your family can't replace the church. That that God, you know, God loves family, but God did give the local church for a reason, and it has to be prioritized sufficiently. Mm. How to respond when your spouse suffers. Um, how to how to think when you discover that sex changes with age or when, when the kids leave. Um, you know, all of these things were burdens that I, I thought, you know, it seemed, as I watched marriages as they grew older, the kind of places that they would, they would collide or spin out, I thought those are the things that I think people would desire to hear about and see the gospel applied to. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was kind of the heart behind the second book. The second book, the, the sequel is called I Still Do, Growing Stronger and Closer Through Life's Defining Moments. That's great. And there is a book, and then there is a uh, study guide, 
and then a 31-day devotional. So it's actually three, That's three great. different people. Now, when does that release, and where will we be able to get that? I guess Amazon, everywhere, pretty much, your website. Yeah, yep. The first book releases in uh, in January, just so okay. about six months from now. Okay. Uh, January 2020. Uh, the second one in April 2020, and the third one in October of 2020. Okay, big, big year for you, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's going to be busy. Good deal. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I think that's great. I mean, you sold me on it. I'll be buying it. I'll be reading it. And uh, that sounds great. Uh, mar- marriage marriage struggles are a major reason why pastors can burn out. And let's kind of take let's kind of tease this out a little bit. But what are some other reasons that pastors burn out? And what are some ways that pastors can avoid getting to that inevitable, whether it's where it, whether it coincides with midlife crisis or uh, different stage of life and ministry, why are pastors burning out, and and what are the reasons that contribute, and then what what can we do about that? How can we avoid that? Uh, is it inevitable, and can we avoid it? Well, it's not inevitable. Um, uh, it is common, um, and it, it's it's a it's a vast question. And I, I don't want to oversimplify it by saying, um, well, it's just this or it's just that, because I think there's there's a, a number of components that contribute to you know what we're seeing with pastoral burnout these days. Um, well, let's just talk about some of the obvious ones, though. Uh, you know, I think for me, one as as much as I teach the Bible. And, uh, and and believe in the in the doctrine of of a Sabbath. Believe that it's a beautiful thing that that God has instituted in creation in order to allow us to be restored each week. Um, you know, after the kids left home, I began to encounter real challenges um, because I didn't realize how much having the rhythm of life with children at home and and being able to set aside that day, how much of it was just tied into, you know, organizing that around the kids. Yeah. And so once the kids left and Kim and I had plenty of time together, you know, I my mind began to gravitate towards work and work like things on on the Sabbath and I, I got caught up in you know in in working too much and and really like in 2018 had to confront this in in a whole new way because i i was beginning to relate to the sabbath more as if it's optional and i kind of fell into this this rut Hmm. and it just it, it 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 tenderized my own heart with an awareness of how how easy it can be to justify um you know, working, and and for me, I think it's really, it's, well, it's the same thing in me that exists within the Israelites. It's a lack of faith. Okay. It's a lack of confidence that God can accomplish in, in six days, you know, what seems to me to require seven. Wow. Uh, And that God can maximize my productivity in the period of time that he's given me rather than me needing to burn, you know, burn it all on the seventh day as well. Yeah. So I think that goes to my confidence in God, my faith towards God. I, you know, the reason why, 
why in the Old Testament the Sabbath wasn't observed or the year of Jubilee never took place mm-hmm. um, was because the unbelief of the, in the people of God, uh, you know, that hasn't changed. Yeah, right. So, so that one's a big one. I, I think I'll mention one other one, and, and that is I, I think that the pastors burn out often because there there is a an absence of of trusted friends um, in ministry, um, you know, perhaps like on their team or in their church, and then outside of ministry. Yeah, you know, some of their their, their friendship circle is exclusively other pastors, and um, you know, and and I've made that mistake for for a season as well. Okay. Um, but I, I think there is, you know, there is a life that comes when you are meaningfully connected in relationships with people that you trust. This, yeah, this is it's good. If it's if it sounds simple and obvious, it's because it is simple and obvious. But the rigor of ministry and the way the ministry mind works can drive us away from the importance of this. Yeah, and we can justify moving into a more isolated position and we find ourselves standing alone yeah. with a lack of trusted friends. So we have to cultivate that and see it as essential for each and every season because that's what's going to feed us. That's yeah. what's going to help us to laugh and not take ourselves seriously. That's what's going to hold us accountable. That's what's going to provide you know, friends for hobbies and things like that. The kind of thing that continues to feed us in the days ahead so that we can, you know, we can do ministry in the long run. So helpful. I, years ago, I remember a pastor saying, I can't be friends with people in my church. And yet he was simultaneously saying the importance of accountability. And I remember then, and it's kind of been one of those things that was kind of burned into my memory. Well, you can't have both. You have, Real accountability presupposes deep, real friendship. And if you're going to have it, if you're going to have, you, you can't, say, I don't need friends at this church, and also simultaneously say, but I've got real accountability at this church. It goes, you got to have both. And and I think that's just so, so crucial. Um, so, great stuff again. Hey. I totally agree. Yeah. I think there's an elevation of, uh, there's a misunderstanding of what safety is, um, so that men and even, even women think that, um, that the safest environment is one where I'm not held accountable for the things that I share. Right. And and really there's greater safety in being able to build your lives in with other people who are going to love you and care for you. And then and then point you to Jesus and turn you to Jesus's words, you know, the word of God um, in places where you might be falling short. That's mm. that's the true safety. Yeah. That's good. Well, that is a perfect segue into my final question, which is really hits home of why I even started the Shepherd's Crook. And there's a, a tiny little verse, or at least just three words of Second Timothy chapter two, verse eight. And when Paul tells Timothy, just three words: "Remember Jesus Christ." And how how crucial it is for us in ministry to just be taken to the Word, or just be reminded, "Hey, remember Jesus here. Remember Jesus here. Remember Jesus here." Why is the gospel? Why is the gospel of Jesus the person of Jesus? Why? Why is he so? Per, why is it so personally important for us as pastors to know the gospel well? 
Well, I think one reason is because we as pastors can drift from the gospel so easily. Um, it, it almost seems counterintuitive to even say that because you think, oh, wait, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're working in scripture all the time. You're, um, you know, you're talking about doctrine, but the reality is that the business of ministry, the, you know, the, the demands of, uh, of, of the, the administrative side, the, the importance of having to have your, your hands in a lot of different things can oftentimes distract us from the centrality, from the core message of why our our role even exists, mm. and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, mm. Paul's goal is to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yeah, and and so I, I think that there is a sense where we can almost feel like, well, with ministry comes the gospel, and uh, and that's a great danger. Uh, because I think, you know, we have to fight to protect our love for the gospel, our regularly being refreshed by the gospel, allowing the gospel to continue to shape our thinking in ministry, mm-hmm. not simply in, in preparation for ministry. So it's, you know, it's it's important because we drift from it, and it's important because it's, you know, it remains the power of God unto salvation um, for for ministry to take place so it's 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 not only our message but it's it's the means of any effective ministry that we're going to supply and and so you know it's it because the gospel is not simply a it's not simply a, a a phrase it's not simply a body of information but it's it's power yeah it's the power of god and so you know when paul when Paul appeals to the Corinthians, for instance, to, to flee from sexual immorality, it, the, the appeal is based upon the gospel. He says, because you are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. So it, the, the connection is not simply, hey, you know, uh, be pure and mm-hmm. wear a purity ring and... Uh, you know, don't don't have sex before marriage, but he, he takes it right into the heart of the gospel yeah. and reminds Corinthians reminds us that um, you know that that Christ paid for our bodies by dying on the cross, and he gives us gospel motivation for purity. So, you know, it's my point being it's it's important not only because it's the power of God to, unto salvation. Uh, not only because it's our fundamental message, but because it goes to the, even the conduct that we want to live out of and that we want to call other people to as well. Amen. So good. Uh, Dave, this has been a lot of fun. For those that have liked what they've heard, maybe want to get up and you know pick up one of your books, tell us where we can read or find more of your work. Uh, I know you've launched a new website. Just kind of tell us where we can find more of, of you and, and what you're currently doing. Yeah, well, thanks for asking, because the website is that you reference is about to be launched, uh, I think it's this coming Friday, so it's going to be at RevDaveHarvey.com, and that's where, that's going to be the site where all the stuff that I've written, all the articles and blogs and papers and videos that I've done, and then also the, the information on the new books and things like that um, is going to be posted, so I'm going to be kind of working out and working through the uh, the RevDaveHarvey.com site. All right, fantastic. 
Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. And uh, listeners, I, I hope you've enjoyed it. But Dave, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for inviting me, Jared. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.